In July of 2017, at a collector's meetup in upstate New York, I had a particularly memorable conversation with John Alvarez. John was a longtime collector who had an incredible run of Biker Scout pre-production pieces, as well as a substantial run of the unproduced droids figure Admiral Screed. Years before, John sold most of his vintage Kenner prototypes as his interest shifted toward things like props, artifacts, and original paintings. And as soon as we spoke, I mentioned that I had recently started to collect modern Star Wars prototypes. I asked John if he had any advice he could share with me, if there was anything he learned as a vintage collector that would be helpful to me as a burgeoning modern collector. He thought about my question for a few seconds, and with a wry smile and a straightforward confidence, he said two words I'll never forget. Buy hard copies. As he expounded his suggestion, I was relieved to hear that I was already headed in the right direction. In the weeks leading up to the meetup, I had purchased my first hard copy. Hard copies were much more expensive than many of the other prototypes, but they represented one of the earliest stages of production, and fewer of them existed. Plus, many of them were hand-painted, and in my eyes, they were miniature works of art. When it comes to collecting parts of the pre-production process, the hard copy may just be the most overlooked item. And yet, to many collectors, it is one of the most desirable and most valuable pieces. And the hunt for a vintage Kenner hard copy can be an incredibly challenging one. A few months after that meetup, in November of 2017, a painted Dynacast hard copy sold in a Hake's Pop Culture memorabilia auction. The hard copy was part of the Russell Branton collection and was of Anakin Skywalker, one of the last figures produced in the 1985 Power of the Force line. The winning bid? $35,000. Since then, very few vintage hard copies have surfaced in public auctions and in sales. The ones that survived the Kenner years are locked away in the collections of those who were able to get them from former employees years ago or those with deep pockets who were able to pry them away from collectors. And the chance of any of them leaving those collections anytime soon is extremely slim. This is a look at what a hard copy is, its function, how it was made, and why it is so important in the process of creating a Star Wars figure. This is an exploration of some of the more notable hard copies that emerged during the original trilogy and exist today. This is the evolution of the hard copy, from the vintage figures produced by Kenner in the 1980s to the modern ones created by Hasbro for the 21st century. This is why you should follow John Alvarez's advice and buy hard copies. This is the Collecting Prototype series. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Coruscant to Tatooine, and every planet in between, Star Wars 
Prototypes and Production with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, The spotlight piece in the 2013 Black Sparrow Vintage Toys and Pop Culture Auction was a 1978 hand-painted hard copy of the 15-inch Darth Vader large-size action figure from Kenner's 12-inch figure line. The hard copy was used for a Sears Christmas catalog photo shoot. Kenner did not have the production figures available at the time and supplied Sears with this painted example that was cast from a material called Carbolon. A former Sears employee held on to the Vader hard copy and stored it carefully for the next 35 years. And as a result, the paint on the figure remained largely intact and pristine, and it was one of only a handful of hard copies from the first film to survive. At the April 2013 auction, the Carbolon hard copy commanded a closing price of almost $19,000. If the same piece was offered to the public again, now almost a decade later, it would likely sell in the $50,000 to $80,000 range, and could very well top $100,000. So in the world of collecting prototypes, what exactly is a hard copy? A hard copy is a copy of the original wax sculpt, but in a harder material. A hard copy. And in the process of making an action figure, the hard copy is a transitional piece that allows the designers to eventually create the plastic figures we collect. To get a better understanding of the steps that go into producing a toy, I would recommend going back to episode 23, titled Collecting Prototypes, How a Star Wars Figure is Made. It provides a detailed but easy-to-understand overview of how an action figure went from a conceptual drawing to the plastic figures hanging on shelves at retail. For a quick recap, a figure is sculpted out of wax, which is a softer material capable of incorporating detail into a figural design. That wax sculpt is used to produce a silicon mold of the head, torso, limbs, and any other parts of the figure and the silicon mold will then be used to produce each hard copy by hand. A urethane mixture is poured into the empty cavity of each silicon mold. The mixture consists of two liquid chemicals, a catalyst and a setting agent, which when combined will undergo a non-reversible activation, solidifying into a resin that is harder denser, and more durable than the plastic found in your childhood action figures. That's the scientific explanation. If that's a little hard to follow, think of it like making jello in a mold. The water mixes with the powder to form a gelatin, which takes the shape of whatever container it settles in. And like jello, a dye is added to the urethane mixture to turn the hardened material into one general color. Each hard copy is cast by hand in this manner, where each mold is filled with a urethane that hardens. Once the pieces are pulled from the molds, the head and limbs are attached to the torso using plastic or metal dowels. Holes are drilled into the points at which the head and limbs connect to the torso. 
hard copy materials. During the Kenner years of 1977 to 1985, hard copies were produced in different types of urethane. And these uniquely colored materials helped to give us an idea of the era in which the hard copies were made. Carbolon, a dense and heavy urethane, was used in the majority of pieces for the Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back figures. Repro-10 was another material used on the early figures, but very few examples have been discovered. The material came from the Freeman Manufacturing and Supply Company, and was offered in tan and black colors. From the Star Wars line, Chewbacca's black Repro-10 arms are some of the only surviving hard copy parts from any of the first 12 Star Wars figures. A Carbolon Bosque was cast with Repro-10 arms as well. And a true rarity in the material, a complete Repro-10 Hoth Rebel Trooper, is visually striking. CP-115, a lighter tan urethane and lighter in weight than Carbolon, was also utilized in the creation of the Empire-era hard copies. A hand-painted AT-AT driver is one of the most beautiful examples uncovered in this material. In 1981, Kenner transitioned from Carbolon to Dynacast, a material which solidified into a ceramic-like texture and was known for its green hue. Dynacast was used for the one-inch die-cast micro-collection figures. And for the regular action figure line, it appears that the first use of Dynacast was for the two figures introduced on 47 back cards, the TIE Fighter Pilot and Zuckus. Kenner used Dynacast for figures throughout the Return of the Jedi and Power of the Force lines, and in the Droids and Ewoks series. And what about gray hard copies? If you've ever seen one of my personal favorites, the unproduced Luke and Jedi robes figure made during the development of the Return of the Jedi line, you'd notice two things. The figure was unpainted and is gray in color. The gray material is a primer that was added to the surface of the green Dynacast hardcopy. A primer was used to create a more consistent undercoat, as well as an adhesive surface for painting. After a primer was applied, a hard copy would be hand-painted. In the case of the Luke and Jedi robes figure, some of the surviving ones were primed but never painted, resulting in gray-colored hard copies. The Tooling Master so we've cast our hard copy. Let's say it's of the three-eyed figure Rees from the film Return of the Jedi. What is the function of a hard copy, and where do we go from here? When I was learning about the pre-production process of a toy, I had a hard time understanding how a resin hard copy of Rees would lead to the production of plastic Rees action figures. I was missing a step and couldn't figure out the bridge between the two materials. And the answer was in a pantograph machine. A pantograph machine uses a stylus to trace the surface of a hard copy. As it traces the head, torso, or any of the limbs of our Rees hard copy, it translates that data to a connected milling machine. The milling machine uses a rotary tool to carve what is traced into a piece of steel 
essentially creating an imprint of the hard copy into what becomes the steel mold. And that steel mold will eventually be responsible for the production of all the plastic versions of that specific reuse body part. And that is how you go from a resin hard copy to a plastic example of an action figure. When I was a child, I remember getting an art set that looked like a set of popsicle sticks connected by rotating pins that would hold the sticks in place but would also allow them to be manipulated. The popsicle sticks formed a square, and then from one side of the square was an extension in which you'd put the tip of a pen or a marker. And from the other side of the square was another hole that would hold a separate pen or marker. You'd fold the set of popsicle sticks inward to make the copy smaller, or you'd expand the reach of the sticks to make the image larger. And you could place where you wanted that copy to be made on a sheet of paper. As you would draw an image on one sheet of paper, the second marker would recreate that same image at the same time, on a second sheet of paper. In a sense, a pantograph works in a similar manner. You could change the size a figure would be produced by increasing or decreasing it by a percentage. The hard copy that the pantograph traced was called the tooling master. The tooling master had to be without any flaws and as close to a perfect example as possible. Otherwise, any crack, blemish, or air bubble in the resin would be duplicated into the steel mold and would appear on every plastic figure produced. So when it comes to hard copies, that tooling master is basically responsible for every figure that comes from the mold created with it. Other hard copy functions. In addition to a tooling master, Kenner used hard copies for a few other purposes too. It is believed that between 6 and 12 hard copies were made for each figure, depending on the needs of the company. A hand-painted hard copy called a paint master was sent to each overseas factory where the figure was being produced. The paint master would demonstrate how the final product would appear. Again, these hard copies played such an important role in bringing these action figures into existence. Collectors today covet these pieces, as they were likely the first completed example of an action figure, fully painted. Along with the paint master, Kenner would supply a set of paint swatches. These swatches would be Pantone-based colors on little rectangles that would hang from a chain like large charms on a bracelet. The swatches in that particular group would showcase the paints to be used on a figure and the back of each rectangle would have a label with the figure's name and where that color was to be used. For example, for the Luke Stormtrooper Paintmaster hard copy that survived, the swatch consists of four colors. The figure was produced in a white plastic, so the four colors needed to finish it were a flesh color for the face, reddish-brown for the eyes, brown for the hair, and black for body deco meaning the black trim on the Stormtrooper armor and on the hips and gloves. Some painted hard copies were used in presentations to retailers. Others were used in photography for things like catalogs and other media, promoting upcoming releases. A great example of this is the large-sized Darth Vader action figure from the 12-inch line I mentioned earlier, which was used for the 1978 Sears Christmas catalog.
the figure was still being produced, and a hard copy, with all of its detail and its exquisite paint, was a perfect model for photography. And a number of hard copies were also created to display at Kenner's annual Toy Fair presentation to retailers. The process of creating a new action figure for the Star Wars line could take more than a year, And since the company needed to promote a new wave of figures, the hard copies that were already made would serve as examples of Kenner's future offerings. In one of his entries on the Star Wars Collector's Archive website, Ron Salvatore noted the following. Multiple painted hard copies of each figure would be shipped to Kenner's Toy Fair exhibit in order to ensure against breakage and loss. This need for backup hard copies would likely increase the total produced for one action figure. While the limbs of a hard copy were pinned with metal or plastic dowels, some of the ones displayed and used for photography were glued into an affixed position. And by doing so, Kenner was able to capture the figure in intended poses, without having to worry about the hard copy coming apart. Hard copies were also used for internal presentations at Kenner and for approval from Lucasfilm in order to advance to the next phase of production. And in the case of a figure like an Ewok from The Return of the Jedi and Power of the Force lines, part of a hard copy would be cast to give a sculptor something to use as a base for an accompanying accessory. So for Logre or Chief Chirpa, a headdress or cowl that would be separate from the figure and produced in a softer plastic would be sculpted on an extra head and torso hard copy combination. Making the necessary hard copies took quite a bit of time, as they were done by hand. Each piece was cast in its own separate mold, and sometimes had to be sanded down or have certain areas covered by putty to ensure an intended look or design. Holes had to be drilled in order to insert the dowels. In a way, this makes the surviving hard copies even more special and more like miniature works of art, as the personal touch was done by true artists and masters of their respective crafts. The ones that were painted were done so with care, as accuracy was crucial. Whether the hard copy was used for photography, presentation, or as a guide for an overseas vendor, delivering an accurate and artful final product was key. How a hard copy differs from a production figure. By this point, you may have a general understanding of what a hard copy is and how it is used, but I think it's worth exploring the ways in which a hard copy differs from a production figure. A hard copy contains much more detail than the final version sold in stores. This is due to the hard copy being a direct cast from the silicon mold made from the sculpt. The silicon mold captures the majority of the details found in the final wax sculpt, but it loses a little bit of the sharpness. And each step of the production process loses more of the sculpt details. It's pretty shocking to see the level of detail on a hard copy, especially of a figure you owned as a child. I would liken it to trying on a pair of eyeglasses. Looking around, what you previously thought was sharp and in focus becomes immensely more so. 
With these early pre-production pieces, the level of detail in the design is truly impressive. But figures don't just lose detail in the transition from a hard copy to a plastic figure. When the plastic figures are painted, the paint covers over some of the grooves and shapes in the sculpted figure, further reducing the sharpness of the original design. And the paint applied to a hard copy by hand is different from the factory paint masking found on a production figure as well. Hard copy paint tended to have a matte finish, which could be a result of the type of paint that was used or how it dried and interacted with the resin itself. And the factory paint had a glossier tone to it. Again, this could be due to the type of paint or to the way it adhered to a slicker plastic surface as well. Hard copies were also larger than their production counterparts. 4% larger to be exact. I covered this in past Collecting Prototypes episodes, but the figure was initially sculpted to be 4% larger than its intended size. The hard copies produced would also be 4% larger because they would be direct casts from the final wax sculpt. And when a steel mold was made based on the hard copy, it would also be 4% larger. But when plastic is injected into a steel mold to produce a plastic figure, that liquid-heated plastic then shrinks once it solidifies and cools. How much? Approximately 4%. So an action figure sculpted at 104% will eventually shrink 4% during the making of the figure, resulting in a final size of 100%, or its originally intended size. During Kenner's production, there were two droid figures that were produced at a size larger than 104% for the 3 and 3 quarter inch line. 8D8 and EV99 were sculpted as two-ups, or twice the intended size. By sculpting them at a little more than 200%, the sculptors were able to capture the finer details of these thinner-limbed characters. And since the hard copies were cast from molds based on the sculpts, they were produced as two-ups as well. For Kenner's micro-collection line, the tiny one-inch-tall figures were sculpted as four-ups, or four times the intended height. Many four-up hard copies have survived, including some of the figures from the unproduced playsets that were created before the line was eventually cancelled. Another difference came from how a figure was pieced together, depending on the design stage. As I mentioned earlier, the limbs and head of hard copy figures were pinned using dowels, and could easily be removed. By the time the figure was ready for production, however, the torsos were split in half lengthwise. And once all of the bulbous ends of the limbs were in place inside the torso, it was sealed through a process called sonic welding. That is why it is virtually impossible to remove the head and limbs on a production figure without heating the figure in boiling water first. And unlike the plastic figures in our collections, hard copies do not have peg holes in the bottoms of their feet. They do not contain copyright information or a country of origin, known as a COO. These markings are usually found on the back of a figure's legs and like the peg holes, were added to the steel molds once the first plastic prototype versions to come out of them were approved. So to recap, some of the ways hard copies differ from production figures are in the amount of detail, the type of paint used, the size, 
the way the limbs and head are added to the torso, and whether they contain copyright and COO markings. The Modern Hard Copy Process There have been some notable changes to the pre-production process over the past few decades. The largest shift has been in the way action figures are sculpted. Instead of molding them by hand out of clay and wax, sculptors create digital models using computer programs like ZBrush. And where set photos and conceptual sketches once served as reference material, Toy designers also use three-dimensional scans of the actors, costumes, and props, sent directly from the set of the latest Lucasfilm movie or series. And since sculpts are designed digitally, the toy makers at Hasbro create hard copies direct from the digital rendering. They print resin examples using a 3D printer. Modern hard copies are significant because they are the first true, tangible example of a toy. The process of making a figure takes anywhere from a year to 18 months, and as a result, hard copies still retain some of their previous functions. Hasbro artists still hand-paint the resin examples. Often, they are used to promote the upcoming releases, in photographs and in displays at trade shows and conventions, long before an action figure is ever produced in plastic. To celebrate the release of the 2018 standalone Star Wars film Solo, Hasbro arranged a display at one of the larger trade shows that demonstrated the process from hard copy to production example of a single figure. In a glass case illuminated by cylindrical spotlights, the young Han Solo figures stood in a line on top of an acrylic riser. Starting at the left was an early 3D print in a rust-colored resin. One that was either hand-cast or printed in a blue resin followed, and next to it was a Paintmaster hard copy. To the right of it was a plastic first shot, in pink and with a yellow-orange vest and then a production-quality sample, which most closely resembled the production figure. At the very end of the row of Hans was the final production figure, the ones that line shelves in toy stores around the country. It is very rare to see a display like this, in which many steps of the production process of a modern Star Wars figure are represented. Fakes. If you are interested in collecting hard copies, a word of caution. Fake hard copies have turned up for both the vintage and modern Star Wars lines, and for logical reasons. The first reason fake hard copies exist? The values. 
In 2010, collectors were alerted to the fact that an unscrupulous seller had sold a number of fake hard copies and hard copy parts, as well as some that were authentic. This scam happened over the course of five years, and a number of fake pieces infiltrated the collections of longtime prototype collectors. At the time, hard copies were worth a fraction of their current values, but people in our community lost thousands of dollars buying what they thought were real pre-production pieces. If that had happened today, a decade later, what would the value have been for each item? And instead of collectors being out thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, we may be looking at a price total of a scam in this size in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I would estimate the average Kenner Star Wars figure hard copy currently sells in the twenty dollars to $100,000 range, depending on the character and the series to which it belonged. And that type of money from a potential sale gives dishonest people reason to reproduce pieces that they can pass off as originals and then sell to collectors who are eager to own one. Fortunately, we have some stellar sleuths in our community who came together at the start of the past decade to uncover this particular seller's scam. On the collecting forum Rebel Scum, people like Chris Fawcett, Gus Lopez, Chris Jorgulius, and so many devoted collectors collaborated on a thorough analysis of the pieces purchased from the seller and were able to determine which items were fakes. And a second reason fakes exist is because very few collectors own authentic examples of these rare pre-production pieces. Few would know what to look for when purchasing hard copies. And few would know about the particular details that separate the real ones from the fraudulent ones. The details that come from examining real hard copies and knowing things like distinguishing traits, specific materials and colors, and provenance. In the 1990s, a series of hard copies made from original Kenner molds entered the collector market. Initially, many believed they were real, but one main detail proved they were fakes. They were cast in a blue resin, and this material was not used by Kenner until years after the Star Wars line had ended. Once collectors were able to confirm this, these blue-hued items were declared to be reproductions and were labeled within the community as Blue Harvest Hard Copies, which was a nod to the false title used for Return of the Jedi when Lucasfilm was secretly working on the movie. Dishonest sellers seek to capitalize on the fact that collectors are not familiar with these pieces because they rarely turn up for sale. They hope a buyer has nothing similar with which to compare it. And when you mix that lack of knowledge with the uncontrollable excitement at the chance to land a major piece, a wolf-like seller can set up a very costly trap, especially if they mix in some legitimate pieces as well. My mother shared something with me a long time ago that has always stayed with me. The key to knowing when something is inauthentic is to study the real thing as closely and as carefully as possible. It sounds simple, but as humans, we often do the reverse. Or, we do nothing at all. Something similar happened within the past few years with a batch of modern prototypes. A seller offered multiple hard copies of the same figure to a handful of collectors at prices almost too good to be true. 
and the story was similar to the scam from a decade earlier. In this case, some of the pieces were believed to have been authentic, but a number of them were fakes and were likely cast by the seller himself. In fact, this discovery is still unfolding, but it took a small team of collectors to come together and to use their knowledge of Hasbro's process in order to uncover the beginnings of this modern hardcopy scheme. And although fakes exist, educating yourself about hard copies and the process will help you avoid these rare pitfalls. When it came to buying prototypes, before I spent any serious money, I read and researched as much as I could. I spoke to other collectors constantly and learned from them over months and years. Collector conversations are so important. You may have some knowledge that you picked up from owning and seeing certain pieces. Or you may have gleaned information about certain hard copies and prototypes from sources or former employees. And I may be able to build on what you've learned about a particular item or line with what I've learned from speaking with collectors or sources. And then our mutual friend may be able to build on that foundation of information by contacting another source. And in a trusted group like that, where information can be shared freely, not only does your knowledge base increase, but you'll make wiser decisions when it comes to purchases. If there's a message here, it's not to scare you away from buying hard copies. In fact, overall, very few fakes have surfaced. Instead, it's the importance of educating yourself and connecting with other trusted collectors in our community. Our community is filled with people who share the same passion for collecting as you do, and who love to discuss the minutiae that makes our hobby so exciting. And in exploring these toy artifacts together, we can tell the story of the Star Wars collectibles that means something to so many of us. So that's a basic introduction to Star Wars hard copies. As part of the Collecting Prototype series, I intend to dive further into the subject in future episodes, exploring the vintage and modern processes, as well as to spotlight some of the notable hard copies that have surfaced, and even how you might be able to purchase some of them. There are some fantastic stories to be told about these special and historic pieces, and I'm happy to share them with you. My hope is that these Collecting Prototypes episodes are ones that you'll return to for multiple listens. They are packed with helpful and educational information, and some of them take a second listen to really digest and to understand the material presented. I am simply learning along with you as well, and work to be as factually accurate as possible, because information is such a key part to collecting. So if you have a chance, go back and listen to this one again. Visualize the parts of the process in your head. Ask yourself questions about hard copies and seek answers online or through conversations with other collectors. I think hard copies are vastly underappreciated by our larger collecting community. 
The ones who have been collecting prototypes for a while understand their historical significance and true rarity, but many collectors today simply know very little about them. I missed out on some really crucial pieces when they were for sale because I did not fully grasp what was being offered at the time. And I don't want you to have that same regret if you collect prototypes or decide to do so. And oftentimes, the one that turns up for a particular figure may be the only one that survived and is potentially obtainable. So my friend's advice was to buy hard copies. And my advice to you would be to understand hard copies. Figure out what they are, why they're important to producing toys, and if they're important to you as a collector. Thank you for listening to another episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production. I hope you're enjoying the Collecting Prototype series. It was something I longed to do once I began collecting prototypes, with the intention of being able to give back to the community that had educated me. But prototypes are fascinating, and we have become archaeologists and curators of these pieces. Many of them are around today because of our friends. They found them, made them available for others, and in some cases, literally salvaged them from dumpsters, saving them from being destroyed and lost forever. If you enjoyed these episodes and stories, please subscribe or follow the show on your preferred podcast platform. It's free to do so, and this way you'll know as soon as the next episode drops. And if you like the podcast, please share it with a friend, and please leave a review. I promise, it takes all of 30 seconds to do so. Did you know that leaving one review can save a prototype? That may not be accurate, but it's certainly a possibility. Your review might be the thing that gets someone to try the podcast for the first time. And the podcast might be a factor in that person's decision to collect Star Wars prototypes. And along their collecting journey, they might find a prototype that would otherwise be discarded. See? You're already impacting the community for the better. But actually, leaving a review of this podcast would help me immensely. These reviews not only help to give listeners an idea of what the podcast is like, but it also serves as a good indicator as to whether it would be worth their time as well. And on top of that, it also helps algorithm-based platforms like Apple Podcasts to recommend prototypes and production to people interested in finding new audio shows. I'm planning on finishing strong for the year, and I have a number of really interesting episodes on the way for you. And who knows, there might even be a few toy trips in store over the next few months. But I thank you for coming along with me. And thank you for all of the kind words of encouragement and notes about the podcast. I truly appreciate it. The galaxy is in your hands. Let's make it something special.